there, it's Ben. I'm here with your reminder, especially this week. Share with us in Twitter, on Facebook, your reactions to this episode. The reason I'm asking is that in this, we're discussing a lot of stuff about session prep and a lot of the tools we use. Now, it's just David and me. We're going to miss things. If you share with us, we can then share with everyone else. Help us make everyone else's game better. And I do want to give a quick shout out to our backers on Patreon. The most recent and our 40th is Philip Emson. And you can be like them at patreon.com slash the Hydean way. Thank you. And now on to the show. look over David's shoulder as I wait for him to finally get access to this database. I know he has our shipping records in here somewhere, but why he chose the library and Bonadon to keep the secure backup is beyond me. Yet again, the hollow screen refreshes, only to see that infernal red X next to the login prompt. I know I typed the password incorrectly this time. I, I watched my fingers. <sighs> Getting increasingly frustrated, I try to reset my password. The screen prompts me to answer my security question. What was the name of the first ship you jumped to light speed? Oh, that's easy. It was, um, huh. Well, this could be a long tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, David Pickering. And Ben Yendel. This past week, I've been thinking a lot about GM tools. You know, things and tools and websites and, and just all sorts of random stuff that can help me as a GM get organized. You know, you may have gotten this sense from the whole time I've been on this show, but I am not naturally the most organized GM. It takes a good tool and a lot of effort for me to get everything where I want it to be. I'm not the guy who's got sticky notes all over the Pathfinder rulebook or the Star Wars rulebook or the D&D rulebook, mostly because I hate putting sticky notes in books, but also because I will rather take a couple of notes in a Word document or something or in a Google Doc or something than have tons of different color-coded things. I get confused by all of the color-coding systems that I create before <laughs> while I'm trying to run a game. You know, because when I'm running the game, my headspace is in, okay, what NPCs are here? How do I, you know, how do they do their voices? How do I react to the player that just, you know, blew up the governor? Like, you know, something like that. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the natural GM questions. So for me, having a tool or a number of tools in my toolbox that can help take some of the complication out of organizing the game is incredibly helpful. And I just couldn't think of a time on the show where we talked about the stuff that we like or the stuff that we use or that we found helpful and sort of shared that experience. And, you know, the stuff that we used that didn't help, or that we that just didn't click with our GM styles at all. There have been a few episodes where we have kind of talked about a few very targeted things, like last episode we talked about maps with Leslie, or I did. But there's just so much beyond that. And there's three or four different ways of doing pretty much anything. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a, a wide avenue, but I just thought that there would be some worthwhile conversation <laughs> about what we use and what we do. My question for you, David, is what sort of tools do you use to do a prep? Like, what do you, how do you start prepping for a game? <laughs> well, for me, it depends necessarily on what I'm doing, because I run games like, I actually just resurrected a play-by-post today that some of my friends and I had been doing and that just slacked off, but cool. so I, I tend to run games in person and on something like a play-by-post where it's, you know, a forum or something. And I have in the past run games online. I just find that the, our Tuesday night games, I, I value the in-person element of it as much as I do the game part of it. So I prefer to have that particular day blocked off for actual in-person games. 
So people actually come over and hang out and do things that are not just play games. Awesome. So I find that when I'm planning an in-person game, the things that are most valuable to me are, are one, an easy way of communicating with everyone in the group at once that they can all see and respond to, preferably from a mobile device. Mm-hmm. Two slash B, I want to find something that can help me as a GM keep notes that I have, because I tend to think of things at random times, like I will be mm-hmm. walking to lunch at work. And I'll be like, oh, I have this great idea for what this villain's going to do this week. Or I finally figured out something that I've been wanting to include. So I just jot that down on my phone. And then later, I need to be able to slot it into something that makes all of my random notes make sense. Okay. And then lastly, I want something to put kind of post-game stuff. Like if a player wants to add notes or write something down out of character or in character, you know, some some way to to do some world building that isn't just game playing, essentially, if that makes sense. It makes a huge amount of sense. And I, yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about what I use for all of that now and things that I'm going to try and things that I have tried. But I want to ask you the same question before we get too far in. Like, what do you look for when you're planning a game? Okay, I've got sort of two different prep modes because I've sort of got two different styles. Style one is... The style that you're actually a lot more technically familiar with, which is I figure out what the players did last time. I try and figure out what my overplot Mm -hmm. is. I try and actually apply that between one and the other. Then I try and figure out what this session is going to be. What is the key scene that I want to do today? Right. Okay. Then there's also been the GM of Heroes and trying to figure out two things. Like, how many episodes do we have left? Which... We're getting close-ish to the end. (laughs) By the time this airs, we're going to be solidly in Act 4, which means Act 4 is the big guns of bigness. It's essentially a Hoth-style thing. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot more focused in on, okay, in this session, what NPCs am I needing? What voices do I need? And... That's generally what I'm racking my brain for. At this point for Heroes, I know what's happening. It would be really hard for the players at this point to do something that is truly going to cause me conniptions on them doing something wildly unexpected. Like, there's almost no chance of that. Well, that's good. (laughs) Players are players, and they always try and figure out something that's going to cause you weirdness, but... At this point (laughs) in Heroes, we're actually at the climax. There's only so many ways that it can go. Right. That's the fun part with Heroes. Yeah, there's sort of the two different styles to it. It's like, okay, well, one is uh, figuring out where we are in the plot, and the other one is, I know the plot, I know exactly where everything is, and how do I actually bring this to life? And it's kind of two sides of the same thing, but one I'm working from a book, one I'm just sort of freestyling. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing more, much more of the prep the world ahead of time to my freestyling games or my personal games. Yeah, I mean, it's always the trick is to figure out how to balance all of these different kinds of styles together. Because like when I'm, like I'm said, when I'm running a play by post, I'm super researched because I have all the time in the world to make my posts. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you do something in one of my play by post games, then I'll just look up the rules and write it as though I had just responded, you know, perfectly. But in person... <laughs> I'm so hesitant to crack books open at the table because I feel like it just slows things to a halt. So sometimes I'm the guy who'll be like, well, for, you know, tonight, let's do this and then tell me afterwards what the rule actually was. I, oh, as a GM, that is sort of my cardinal rule. That is absolutely my cardinal rule. No books open at the table. Yeah, I will. If it's really in doubt, I'll have people look it up, especially since I have such a large group. 
one of the things that I'll do is say, you know, we've got three players who were involved in a scene and we need a rule looked up and it's not critical that it happened right now. I'll send one of the players who's less involved or whose character is doing something else to go look it up real quick. Oh, no, that's And then come back to me at a good point. But that only works because I've got like seven or eight players on any one day. (laughs) That's a pretty good way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, it helps that I have players who all know where to look for these things. Otherwise, I absolutely agree with you is keep the books closed at the table. My one sort of hedge against that is I do have my cards at the table, the FFG adversary cards. Beyond that, nope. Yeah, I have to keep NPC notes at the table. So like, the only book that's habitually open is, you know, the it's open to the NPC page or you've got the monster manual or whatever. I've got that out. And so, and you know, in that sense, we're talking about the books themselves as, as tools. And I really think that on the night of, I try to keep the books closed unless it's critical. <laughs> that's kind of the thing, though, is one of the things that I'll do myself as sort of GM prep is... I will rewrite down the NPC stat block. Even if it's just a published stat block, I'll rewrite it down so all my NPCs are in one spot. Yes, it's really helpful not to have to go looking for places. You know, go looking through, especially in games that aren't Star Wars, where it's not quite as easy to see all the NPC blocks, because when I run Pathfinder games, I've got to have the like two different bestiaries open and three different bookmarks in them, and <laughs> that's exactly what I don't like doing. So I, I try and put it all in one place. <laughs> You don't want to look like a ritual that you're trying to cast just to do this one combat. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to have to be like, all right, well, we'll turn to page 365 and look at this. And then if you chose this answer, then go here. And <laughs> I mean, and that's that's also one of the things that I look for, especially in an online tool, because I tend to run my games from a tablet because I don't have a laptop computer. I've got the desktop that I have and then I have my tablet mm-hmm. and I am a digital person. I like to have my tablet open. That way I can look at maps and look things up and, you know, I can keep track of multiple different things all at once. And it helps reduce paper and clutter because if I have notebooks, then I have to have three or four different notebooks all open at the same time. So I like a tool that I can access from my tablet and that can keep track of stuff. Like I can click NPCs and I can have just entered the NPC blocks, especially if I can organize it by session so that I don't have to scroll through the NPCs from three weeks ago to get to the ones that I want. Or delete them, because I don't like deleting stuff just in case, especially if a character survives an encounter and is coming back. I don't want to have to delete their stats just to make room so I don't end up like, you know, with characters who escaped from the players four or five sessions ago in the way of stuff I actually need for tonight. I'm kind of the same way. I'll use OneNote for everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I need to reorganize my Thursday night notes, but I have pretty much everything in it where... I've got different tabs like you're talking about for, okay, my Thursday night game is a group of bounty hunters. I've got what the current bounty is. I've got what the current mission is. A list of the NPCs and a description of, well, okay, this is what NPC? Oh, and they've got a relationship to whoever. Yes, that's always really, really helpful. One of the things I've used both for play-by-post and for real-life stuff in, I know you've used it too, is Obsidian Portal. Uh, It's a website. Uh, A lot of the features that I needed for the play-by-post are something you have to be a subscriber for. It was like, I want to say $5 a month when I did it as a subscriber. I don't, I'm not a subscriber anymore just because the play-by-post I was running, I'm no longer running it there. But it was really helpful for that. It's still in that range. I don't think it's an unreasonable price to pay for it. I don't know if there are things that give you the same stuff Obsidian Portal does for free, but I found it very helpful. Even if you do use the free version, it's not like you're getting some junked down version of the tool. It's just that some features are not available. It still lets you create a wiki, which is one of my favorite things about any GM tool is the ability to create your own wiki. 
because that's the perfect way to keep everything, for me at least, organized. It lets you create character pages. It's got some character sheets you can load into it. I love Obsidian Portal for the ability for doing a wiki. Like, anytime that you get someone who's as into making the wiki as you are (laughs) and linking it up, it's amazing. Yes. Having a linked set of data there so that this person's background character links to that person's background. Having this big NPC have a link going off to their organization is amazing. Yes. Then as a GM sort of prep tool, or you're going back through and saying, well, what does this NPC do? Oh, you can have it linked in the adventure log that your player is doing up because they're doing that to make it so that everyone knows what the heck went on. Yeah, adventure logs are another great feature of Obsidian Portal. And it really just lets people write anything. But I've in the past used them to let the players write some of the summaries of the adventures we've been on, or even just like this character is going to have a personal log or something that they're keeping instead of writing it in character. And it just adds some of that like out of the session world building to it. For the game that I'm currently running, we don't use it as much as we could. Like we're using it in a very stripped down fashion. But one of the things we do is the adventure logs, which the person is writing kind of sort of in character. His character is relatively meta anyway, but yeah, that's kind of what he's doing. (laughs) And I'm also in, because I am a paying subscriber, I have access to a forum and the forum with it allows me to continuously respond back and I keep an XP log in there. The forum was really the thing that I was paying for when I was a subscriber because I was running play-by-posts on Obsidian Portal and the forum was where we actually played. (laughs) My current play-by-post I'm running on my phone app called Band. Okay. Which is not perfect for it. It's definitely not built for RPGs. It's mostly built for organizing groups. Okay. You know, you could use it to organize an RPG night group and say like, you know, these are the people who will be here and here's an event happening and stuff like that. But I've been using it to run the play-by-post because that's where we started running it all the time ago. It does work. You kind of just create threads for different scenes. Obsidian Portal was definitely better. I wouldn't be opposed to switching this play-by-post back to Obsidian Portal, but this app is a little bit easier to do on the go. And I found that with play-by-posts, the easier it is for a player to just see that their turn has come up and respond immediately, the more likely they are to do it quickly and not bog the game down. So if they can type their answer and all of that from their phone, then I'm all the happier for it. (laughs) Have you ever taken a look at a site called Gamersplane? It's gamersplane.com. No, I have not. I will have to, yeah, if you link me to that, I'll take a look at it later. Uh, The other one I was looking at for the wiki function was uh, World Anvil. Somebody recommended that to me, but I haven't haven't used it yet. (laughs) Obviously, we're kind of heavy on the Obsidian portal for at least the wiki end of things. The sheets, some of my players can tell tales of trying to do tables, like sheets in tables on Obsidian portal. It works. It's just painful. Far too painful. It's, I've, I've done that. It's, yeah, I don't keep character sheets on Obsidian Portal. I will have you keep your character fluff there, but when I, especially when I've run games with Obsidian Portal. So when I was running in-person games with Obsidian Portal, we just kept in-person character sheets or on-computer character sheets. Not on Obsidian Portal. We put them in a <laughs> Dropbox or something, which is also a great tool for GMs. Get a Dropbox on a, a you know, not your, your like home email account or something. Give everybody the password to it so they can just go look for stuff and put your character sheets and stuff in there. Another site that... Uh, found from Vince, one of the players in the Thursday Night Game. It's called SW Sheets. Okay. And it's entirely based around Genesis system sheets. 
Now, technically, all these sheets are public, but you can only edit the ones that you create. It does characters, it does vehicles. You can keep them up as an active thing. The thing that's great about it is it does all the calculations for the dice coding for you. Like, it's not quite as good as, say, one of the character builders like Ogs Dudes. For displaying something for people to actually just go look at, it's actually really nice. Especially for higher-end characters. Yeah, actually, that sounds really useful. It sounds like something I'll have to check out. And then sort of the obligatory one that I've used in a lot of things is uh, Roll20. Roll20 is really good, especially if you have a map. Yeah, basically, you have to put a little bit of work in as a GM so that you don't end up with just, like, flat grid drawings. But if you don't mind putting in a little bit of work to make a nice-looking map, or at least a decent-looking map, if you don't have an in-person map, you should be using Roll20 because you can get a free, you know, everything you need to get it running is free. You can subscribe for extra functions, but I mean, it's everything that you need to run. You can keep track of token health. You can create custom tokens, create maps, create grids. You can tell it different, you know, grid spaces are different amounts of distance. It's pretty setting neutral. It has official support for D&D 5th edition. It's getting official support for Pathfinder. Might have official support for a couple other games, but if you're running Star Wars and you just need to know medium, short, long range, you can just, you can do it that way too. You can take the grid off the map entirely. Mm-hmm. You can put character sheets in, and people have developed character sheets that just naturally jump right in. You can create macros. You can roll your dice in Roll20. It's very useful. Can't recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah, some people have put a huge amount of work into doing this so that you can just select a character sheet, and it will do most of the stuff for you. It's really amazing. Yeah, I played a 5th edition game that one of my friends was running on it, and he had a macro set up, and basically... If I wanted to make an attack roll or a skill check, I just clicked on the name of it. And as long as my character sheet was up to date, it would automatically roll it and tell me what I got. I remember running in a game that pretty much did that too. It's amazing. I mean, it it, it really is what you put into it. So if you're not interested as a GM in keeping up with all of the work that it takes to make those things function, you can still just use it as a map tool and it will work just fine. But it can be <laughs> a lot more if you want it to be. Roll 20 in Fantasy Grounds. Which, if you're doing, like, D&D, Fancy Grounds is also a really cool thing. And the D20-based stuff. If you're going to put the work into it, it's an amazing tool. If you've got the time and inclination. For me, it's too much time doing stuff that I then feel that I'm railroading players towards. Because using maps just makes me feel like i got to use the maps instead of trying to recreate something. Yeah, I will say it, I don't frequently use maps, especially for Star Wars. If I'm playing a game that has more necessity for a map, Roll20's maps are really good for it. But if I'm playing a play-by-post or something where it's asynchronous, you know, the GM and the players aren't looking at it at the same time and talking about it at the same time, the Roll20 is super helpful because you can just, a character moves their token, rolls their dice, and you move on. And then the next person looks and it's all set and you can keep track of character health and you don't have to keep all of that in your head. And you can really use it for any kind of asynchronous gameplay. Because I know a lot of people are moving towards play-by-posts, not as a, like, this is their only role-playing experience. People are busy, you know? It's hard to to scratch their role-playing itch with just a once-a-week in-person game. So I know a lot of people who've got ongoing play-by-posts that are just sort of there to help scratch the itch. <laughs> I never even thought of that. That's a really cool reason for doing it. And that's why I'm running an RPG on a play-by-post. You know, because it doesn't require as much work because you don't have to perform in some sense as a GM or a player. Like, you don't have to go and, and do it all in one night. It's just sort of like, oh, well, I, you know, I've got 10 minutes here. I'll update. The, the key is just keeping people engaged enough to update quickly. I know for a lot of groups that don't have everyone in the same exact position, 
Like, so my group has six or seven people, depending on the day, uh, have up to eight. <laughs> Depends on what time of year it is and what people's commitments are. But some of our group have moved or, you know, never actually were in the same physical location as us. They were just knew us and wanted to be involved. So we have some people call in using Discord, which is actually what we're using right now to talk. Uh, <laughs> as we try and knife fight it. But we've also used Google Hangouts. I have used Skype. <laughs> I don't like Skype, but I will use it if I have to. If I have to hear that little boop, 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 one more time, then I think it might just break. <laughs> we have this really weird jury rigged thing because, like I said, I don't have a laptop. I used to. I built my desktop and I just, you know, I haven't wanted to have two computers. My wife has a laptop, but she, like, needs it for stuff. <laughs> so she doesn't really, just, you know, have it available for me to steal for several hours every week. Mm hmm. So we have other players' laptops, so we end up hooking up a USB webcam to someone else's computer and using it to broadcast video into some... We've, we're still finding an option. If we have a map or something, we want the players to be able to see who are who are far away. Okay. Because uh, our, our ongoing struggle has been how to make the, the remote players feel as involved as the in-person players. Yeah. Because we don't want them to feel like they're just observing the game and occasionally offering what their character does without being able to see the map. But at the same time, it is quite difficult sometimes to involve them in the same degree because they can't see things. And Like I've personally I've played in one of those games and it always sort of seems like the away people and the in-person people sort of start clumping just because they're the people who are paying attention to each other. Well, our group has been pretty good about not doing that. I think because... We've been doing it for so long because, like, I think I mean, we started playing on Roll20. Nobody was here in person. And that was like in 2013. <laughs> wow, that was a long time ago. Online only. And then a couple of the people who were playing online were actually like close to me. <laughs> so we started meeting up in person and then the group in person kept growing. So we really we have rarely not had remote players. So we've just sort of gotten used to how to include them because... Most of us have never played as a group together without having somebody who wasn't physically there. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But it, it is challenging, and it's one of the biggest things we struggle with, is trying to keep the remote players from feeling like second-class citizens sometimes, because we definitely want them there, and it's just sometimes hard to communicate to them the same experience that their you know in-person counterparts are getting. You've brought up a lot of communication variants. One of the things that the Thursday night game that you had been a part of and is still going, we had started using Google Hangouts just because it's a fairly decent ad hoc check-in thing. Mm -hmm. The thing that keeps us or keeps me using Hangouts is that you can set a calendar thing and then the web call happens from the calendar invite. Oh, It seems dorky that that's the reason why. It's no fuss, no muss. It's a repeating thing that every two weeks it's there on a Thursday. You've got access to the thing. It's got a reminder for two days out and rest assured that, yeah, there's going to be a game that night. That's handy. From a scheduling standpoint, it's great because that way everyone can have it on their calendar saying, oh yeah, I've got this, right. So there's less chance of double booking without the intention of it that's really helpful you know my group doesn't necessarily use calendar invites just because everyone has been in this group since like a really long time like i said we started in 2013 and everyone <laughs> knows it's tuesday nights i do 
think that those kind of calendar invites are super helpful. And I have used them for other games that weren't on Tuesday night that I've been a part of just because, you know, it's easy to let something slip your mind if you're not paying attention or it's not something that you're used to doing every week. And all of a sudden you've double booked yourself and then, you know, got six people who are just sort of like, well, but I wanted to play tonight. (laughs) Then you've also got like, do I go with the group that we've always been doing it? Or there's this other thing that's really cool that I want to go to. And just having the calendar thing makes it easier. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Skype is Skype. Skype can be great. Skype can be horrible. I know that there are some people out there starting to use Zoom, which is a decent-ish web conferencing thing. It's kind of like a new variant of Skype done by other people, so it's still got the new smell on it. Mm -hmm. Zoom is a paid thing if you're wanting for over a particular amount of time, so that's something to keep in mind. Okay. Each one of these things, I know of no system out there for communicating over the internet that doesn't run into some form of VoIP issues. I mean, the internet is the internet, and the fact that we can all have, you know, six or seven people in a call at the same time talking and only have sometimes, you know, VoIP issues is pretty incredible. But yeah, you gotta kind of have to live with the lack of perfection sometimes. And, you know, I know we've struggled sometimes just with random, (laughs) unexplainable connection issues, you know? Uh, Like tonight, my VoIP will be fine, and then it'll just drop to one bar for no reason. And The question I've got for you, David, is what do you use for your session notes? You're saying that you have them on your tablet and do it. Is there anything that you're kind of specifically going for with it? Right now, I'm cheating because I'm running a pre-written campaign. (laughs) Uh, So I just opened a PDF of that. But if I'm not doing that, then generally in the past, I've used Google Documents just because I can edit that on the go. I've used Evernote, which is a phone app you can also get on your desktop or your laptop. I've used Obsidian Portal. I don't really like using Obsidian Portal for my GM notes. It's just not as well organized. I want to try using World Anvil because I've been told that's a really good way to do your work. Evernote and OneNote are sort of the two that just sort of scream that they're good for me. Evernote is great. I've not used OneNote. I know it's broadly similar, but when I've used Evernote, it's basically you can put documents inside of folders and subfolders and switch between them pretty quickly and seamlessly. So it basically just lets you say, okay, here's the list of NPCs for tonight and here's the list of, you know, and you've got folders for each week and you've got summaries and it's just easily to hand. OneNote is pretty much the same thing. It comes with an office subscription. That's the reason why I'm using it. It's a really handy tool because it was laying around there. Other useful thing that you can go for, can't go wrong with index cards. <laughs> Three by five index cards and a pencil. I use it all the time. I use That's what I use to track NPC health. I'll just, at the beginning of an encounter, I'll just write quick, like, I think sometimes I've literally just written bad guy one, bad guy two, and I know which one is which and I'll just write down their current health and erase it or cross it out as I go. I'm pretty much the same way. I still have a stack of index cards, and anytime I need initiative, anything that, like, it's my scratch pad. Mm -hmm. Having something that you can just jot information down on or do a more proper fill-in index cards. That's the other thing that I've used them for. Yeah. Having the index cards set up with, okay, this is what a Stormtrooper set is. Okay, load lifters. Because, well, I was always worried that people were getting to combat with load lifters when doing Dead in the Water. So what I had written out was <laughs> the quantity of minions versus what their dice pool was for whatever skill. These things are silly huge, and they've got Brawl as a minion skill. So if you have three load lifters in a group, that means they're punching with three green and two yellows. That's a nasty, nasty thing. (laughs) That is pretty nasty. 
okay, they take out one of the load lifters. Well, okay, so, like, where does the break happen? Like, with stormtroopers, okay, I've got a group of six stormtroopers. How does that shake out? And just so that I'm not having to do the math in my head, I had it written out. Okay, so I've got six stormtroopers, they have this for their ranged heavy. If I've got four stormtroopers, I've got this. And it's just quick, easy flashcards. And that's really the best way to do it. For me, because I'm running Pathfinder right now, I will write down all of a villain's spells and feats on a card so that it's easier to, you know, I don't have to flip through the book, especially because just more by necessity (laughs) because Pathfinder is so complicated. They don't write out what every spell does or every feat does in the pre-written campaign. They just write, this character has the following feats and spells, and then I got to go look them up. But as GM prep goes, that's pretty light. But when I, you know, when I'm in Star Wars, especially because, you know, I won't create the NPC on the computer first. I'll create their little scratch card first and then go and add them to whatever, because that way I have a way to track them. Star Wars is thankfully much easier. You just write, I got a couple of talents and things. Star Wars is my go-to if I want to play a game quickly. Like if I've got an opportunity to have an RPG session or a one shot or something, or even if I want to play a campaign that's just breezy, easy fun, that's the system for it. And I'm assuming Genesis is broadly similar. It is. You, It's a lot of bang for your very little buck in terms of GM investment. Like you don't have to do very much to get a lot out of that system. And neither do your players. I kind of agree. The reason why Hem and Haw is that the Genesis system does have its own... You do still have to learn the dice. Once you've learned the dice, it's so easy to prep. Yes. Star Wars is one of those relatively quick and easy ones where you can take the adversary cards and just be able to, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to run. One of the bigger GM tools that you just brought up, in addition to index cards, is if you're playing Star Wars, those adversary cards are really useful because you can get them very cheaply, or at least you could last I looked, and... Yeah, they've got everything you need written on them. You don't need to write index cards, you know, for your NPCs. Just snatch it up. There you go. You got a stormtrooper. You got a bounty hunter. You got whatever. That's the other thing that I love about them is that they come in packs of twenty, and like I have all of them, and I have yet to find one pack that doesn't have something that I would say I wouldn't have thought of that as an NPC. What's an example? Out of curiosity, more than anything. The best example is from Citizens of the Galaxy. Card number 13 of 20, Twilight Dancer, a minion group. (laughs) You're right. That is not a minion group I would have thought of needing stats for. They've got Presence of Four. They've got Charm and Coordination. And they've got Decent Agility. They've got Respectable Soak. They've got no talents. They've got no abilities. They've got Dancing Attire as Equipment. And they've got a fairly large flavor text box. How do you have a dancer with no talent? They're minions. Generally, you don't talent out minions. (laughs) It's sort of the perfect example, though. It's like sometimes you're just sort of going through things and getting ideas from it, trying to figure out, well, okay, so how do I use the Twilight Dancers as an effective minion group? And then it pulls you into a very social situation. How are they going to be trying to get information from you? Like, how are they going to be trying to charm you? How does that scene get set? Right. (laughs) Since it's a minion group, the only way they get a proficiency dice is having multiples. To get two or three yellows, you're needing to have two or three dancers. Or four dancers to get three yellows. And that really changes a scene from one person trying to do a seduction or a charm or something like that. Or trying to enthrall someone with to having a group doing it. That makes sense, because, I mean, you're much more likely to pay attention if, like, 
12 people came out and started dancing, then <laughs> just four of them, or just one person. I've got four other favorites that are just quick that I kind of want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do it. Two of them are from Creatures of the Galaxy. One is the Sendo Aqua Monster, which everyone's wondering, okay, so what the heck is that? <laughs> then there are the people who know their Phantom Menace backwards and forward and know that this is the bigger fish. <laughs> like, you've got the Colo Claw Fish, which is the initial one that bites onto the Gungan water speeder thing. And then you've got the thing that comes in and noms down on it. The fun part to this is it requires a daunting once upgraded fear check and it's a silhouette five so it is disturbingly huge yeah that's uh it's not a tiny fish (laughs) it is definitely a bigger fish the other creature is the bear sloth which is from the chronicles of the gatekeeper adventure that i'm just so happy showed up in the creatures of the galaxy if you've ever heard the myth of the drop bear from Australia. Oh, yes. They're like koalas, <laughs> but they're vicious and killers instead of the eucalyptus-eating koalas. These things are sort of the Star Wars-ified version of it. There is one sort of nagging bad part to it. Well, there's Silla, too. Huh. Didn't realize that. It does have a reference on the card to Chronicles of the Gatekeeper for the drop bear poison that they can inject into people. Oh, wow. But you can substitute in any sort of poison that you want. Otherwise, yeah, they, they're nasty. Because, yeah, they just sort of hang up in a tree and then drop down and try and eat everyone. Their rival, yeah, it's sort of a bear that hangs out in trees that then try and kill you. That is quite frightening, honestly. I would not want that anywhere near me. <laughs> Between it and the arboreal octopus. Those are sort of my two favorite FFG uh, creatures. Oh, I love the arboreal octopus. <laughs> From beyond the rim. It's amazing. It's an octopus that's in trees. I mean, it's in the name. But they just sort of hang there and then will send down tentacles to pick at people, which is an amazingly Star Wars thing. Oh, yes. Because apparently tentacles and Star Wars go really well together. <laughs> Bizarrely enough. <laughs> well, it all starts off with a Dianoga and it goes from there. That's true. The last two, one I've just sort of got a warm spot in my heart for, which is the assassin droid, which is a nemesis. It is disturbing. It is rightly a nemesis. It has a soak value of seven. Oh, yes. Adversary 2, it is... The reason why I like it is that it comes with a built-in missile launcher. Oh. <laughs> this is the card I had out when I launched a missile at a player because they stole the late-repeating blaster from the assassin droid. And it then <laughs> launched a missile at the character, hit, and gave a maimed critical right off the bat. Yikes. It took dropping a TIE Bomber on somebody to do that in one of my games. He did unexpected things. I was unprepared, kind of. And (laughs) I went with what was on the card. Maybe a little bit further than I should have, but eh, it was kind of fun. And then there was the whole adventure of getting a new arm. (laughs) That is a definite necessity. I named a lot of characters in that adventure. There was a Mon Calamari who got blinded. Like, that's just sad. Uh, yeah, that's really kind of <laughs> a pathetic image. Especially considering it was from, like, a Viroax to the face, no less. Ooh, yeah, no fun. My last favorite NPC from these cards is from Hunters and Force Users. And it's the Dandy Gambler. <laughs> I love the Force Users 
deck just on account of a third of them or thereabouts are hunters and the rest of them are force users. Half of those are force users you wouldn't think of. You have a smuggler who is able to use a force pip to make his piloting better. In this case, you've got the dandy gambler, which is this Devorian with chance cubes floating in his hand, has the force talent of, like, oh, he's got a force rating of one basic talent, but when making a check to gamble, a deception check, or a negotiation check, roll a force die. Each light side automatically adds a success, or two dark sides automatically adds a despair to the check. Ooh. And I like it just because it's, again, not something that you would really think of. Yeah, no, I mean, most people don't think about gamblers when they're trying to come up with NPCs to use in their parties. Even if they are, they're not thinking of a force-using gambler to be using as an NPC. True, very true. That's the reason why I like the cards, is that it's got a bunch of... Like, it has the usuals. Like, there's six or seven different kinds of stormtroopers in there, including a dark trooper. There's a couple stormtrooper sergeants or army sergeants or naval sergeants. All that sort of stuff is in there. You've got your starfighter ones. You've got your commanders. You've got your rebel ones. There's a whole wide swath, but generally, I find them useful because it's, okay, give me a sec. I will, okay, 30 seconds later, I've got two, three cards what I need. It's really just a great resource. Okay, I've got one question for you. Mm Mm-hmm. At least when doing the Star Wars stuff, do you use any character creation helps or aids? I have used fillable PDF character sheets before, but um, I don't think that we've ever actually used anything to um, there or anything like that. We've just that's we just haven't used a whole lot for a character creation other than just fillable PDFs. <laughs> a base character, even if you're not that sure of the system, doesn't take a huge amount of time because there's only so many options. That's one of the benefits of the system. But yeah, later on, you might definitely want something to make managing a character a little bit more easy. Photocopies of the uh, talent sheets, things like that, those are all really useful. Or other places where you might have found PDFs of things where people have sort of recreated it. I just sort of feel that we probably should bring up Og Dudes, just on account of it is a very well-regarded tool out there for mm-hmm. Star Wars system. I haven't seen... Og updating it for Genesis yet. I haven't really been looking to see if he's looking to. The tool as it is is fairly good. You do have to do a lot of sort of lifting to enter in things or luck into finding a database, but (laughs) generally it's a really good tool to help you figure out the cost of things. I don't actually know if I've ever heard of that before, but I should look it up because I have people who just, I have people in my group that actually don't like creating characters. They find it annoying. So having any kind of resource to help them with that would be nice. What's your final bits of advice for preparation for both GMs and if you have any for players? Really, my biggest thing, especially if you are a GM, but also if you're a player, is find what works for you and your group. Like find, if you find that using Dropbox full of Excel spreadsheets for your character sheets is the best way to go, then then go for it. But I would just try a few things. See what your players want to use. See what your players like. See what you like as a GM. What what makes most sense for you? Like, how do your notes pan out when you try them with Obsidian Portal? Or how do they try, you know, when you have a a notebook with sticky notes in it? Like, there is no one-size-fits-all option, (laughs) but I think we've covered a couple of options that a lot of people have found useful. So just experiment with, you know, different things. See what works, see what doesn't work, and be prepared to adapt as players join or leave your group. 
as your style changes, just be prepared to change the way you do things. Be willing to take a look at the different tools out there. We've talked of a bunch of the tools that we use and we use regularly and I've tried or we've tried to toss out a few ideas for other ones that are kind of similar. Mm -hmm. They work. But in the end, it comes down to what works for you, what works for you at your table. And I guess sort of my final tiny bit of advice is there's no right way to prepare. There really isn't. Yeah. And at the end of every session I prepare for, I'm always thinking, oh, if I only had this piece of information more readily available, it would have been so much easier this session. So I'm going to focus more in on trying to make it so that that works for me next session. Yeah, I, it really just does take a lot of adapting and figuring out what is what works for you and what fits your style and just your particular way of thinking about things. Oh, the Phoenix Lightning. Um, all right, that didn't work. How about oh, what was it called? Uh, oh, yeah, the Emperor's Swift Arm. No. All right, I'm realizing I've been in a lot of ships. Ah, oh, blast this login system. Why isn't there an option for I forgot my security question? Uh, David? David? Maybe we should try again tomorrow. I think you've tried a few too many times at that security question. Buddy, I think I just saw a probe droid start to come this way. Wait, wait. Oh, wait. You told me this. I quickly grab the keyboard and type in the fluffy budgie, and the screen changes to the password reset screen. Find us next time on an inquisitive tale from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. I'm at AKA Agent Shades, and we are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com, and we're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway. Or give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thehydeanway.